thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. Welcome back to Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And we're so pleased that you've joined us again today. Welcome to all our new listeners and guests. Uh, Thank you very much for spending your time with us today. And also for those of you who've been on the journey with us for a while, we're very excited. We've ticked over 70 episodes now. So uh, we're really rolling through some big topics and excited actually in the coming months. We've got a few fantastic people we're interviewing. So I really look forward to sharing those uh, lovely guests with you because there's a few areas we haven't dived deep into, is there, Andrea, which we would love to and uh, bringing on some experts to really go into their areas of expertise. Is, is exciting for us. But before we go into today's episode, I'd love to uh, just share with you some very special news. Obviously, uh, the special news this year has been a little bit about my birth journey. And uh, at 38 weeks now, I'm sort of, I guess, not crossing my legs anymore. I'm hoping that this little one wants to come <laughs> whenever it's ready. But um, in other ways, Andrea's also been doing some amazing things and uh, she's having sort of a birth of her own. And Andrea, what is that birth in your life? Uh, well, look, it's it's definitely not a baby, so everyone can, um, can relax there. Ash is the only pregnant one in the mix. Um, but I guess my sort of birth, for lack of a better word, is I have actually just opened my very own practice in Fremantle called Yay. The Wellness Oh, I know. It's yeah. so exciting. Called Wonderful. the Wellness Studio Fremantle. Um, it's been in the works for ages, as most of you are probably aware Um and so we finally opened doors last Tuesday. It feels amazing. I think it looks amazing. Um, everyone who's coming so far seems uh, to really, really love the space. So, um, ladies, I'm very happy to announce that I have uh, just launched the Wellness Studio Fremantle, um, and we'll definitely give you some updates about that as we go along as well. well um, but- very big congratulations. It's wonderful. Oh, and uh, that's not blowing your own trouble because this space is beautiful. I have been there and was very fortunate enough to uh, pop some posters in some frames and help tease around. <laughs> in the in the setup and it was just such a joy to uh to realize the energy in that space and it's such a gorgeous environment and it's going to help so many people so many women so really uh big congratulations from me and i'm sure from everyone listening as well it's very exciting when you start something that uh, is your own and is new and you put a lot of heart and soul and a lot of yourself into it so yeah well done Thank you. Um, yeah, just to give you a visual, Ash with her, you know, ginormous, like amazingly <laughs> ginormous preggy belly is sitting on the floor um, with these big uh, picture frames, changing things out and moving things around. It was, I should have taken photos. You guys would have loved oh, that. Team effort though. That's what it takes whenever you, you know, you've, I, we've always said that um, it's, it's like ships rising on a tide. You, you carry each other. And I think that's the beauty of being a, a group of women who love and care for each other. And that's, yeah. um, um, you know, yeah. everyone listening here as well, you know, your girlfriends are always there for you. So let's roll in today because this topic is really particularly um, something that comes up so much in practice for me as well. Um, it's been something in my life as part of my health journey. And it was probably one of the earliest memories I have of a reason for going to a doctor um, through my sporting years mm-hmm. of things not being quite right. And the diagnosis came back with iron deficiency anemia. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So it's a big one. And so many women are coming in, um, showing me their blood tests of, you know, low iron levels and they're having um, iron supplementation, they're taking iron supplementation, they're even having iron infusions as well. And it seems to be a bit of an ongoing saga. And 
I think it's great that people are being proactive and that they're, you know, examining that whether or not their iron levels are low and if that's actually contributing to some of their symptoms. But I want to take a step back and actually look at why are their iron levels low in the first place and why is it such a perpetual problem? So we're going to look at the causes today, why it's so important for women, but also um, let's look at what some of the underlying causes are that we need to actually address if we want to actually fix this problem. Yeah. And when we talk about anemia, it's important to understand what anemia is. And basically, anemia is the fact that if you have, you can either have a reduced number of red blood cells or there's not enough of a compound called hemoglobin in the blood itself, which is the iron-rich protein that gives your blood the red color. That's also responsible for helping to carry oxygen through the body. So mm-hmm. you can now understand if you either have not enough of the iron carrying capacity, so you don't have enough hemoglobin, or you just don't have enough red blood cells, then you're going to show the symptoms of low oxygenation in the body. And that's where we start to have the classic symptom of fatigue. And that's often the first indicator for someone to say, I'm not feeling great. I'm feeling tired all the time. Um, and so understanding that, you know, this is what your body's doing. It's, it's a very intelligent system. If you don't have enough oxygen carrying capacity, it's going to slow you down. So you stop using as much oxygen um, in order for, to su- survive, in order to preserve what energy levels you do have. So it's not a stupid system. It's an adaptive system. But um, when you're trying so hard to improve your hemoglobin levels or improve your iron levels, then, and it's not working, that's really what we're here to talk about today. Because I know for myself, I took um, ferrogradumate for months and months and months, Mm -hmm. and it was hopeless and it changed nothing. And I was told it should be working and I didn't feel any better and got, you know, blood test and re-blood test and really frustratingly it didn't change much i mean i think it was only like a 15 point change which is nothing at all when we're talking about uh about what you know your blood test should show so let's talk about what some normals are when we talk about a normal full blood count or a red blood count what uh, what are the numbers we're talking about andrea um good question it depends on which part of the world that you live in as well as to what's relevant for you in australia um if we're looking at just anemia so we're looking at your hemoglobin levels if it's below 130 then for men then that is what we consider anemia if it's below 120 in non-pregnant women and 110 in pregnant women um and like kind of preschool age kids that's what we consider anemia but for to have low serum ferritin levels or low iron levels levels um the reference range is kind of between 15 to 300 um and i i kind of struggle with these reference ranges though because every woman is different every woman's metabolic capacity is different and the things that actually affect her iron levels is going to be different as well so even if you fall within, you know, that quote unquote normal sort of bell curve um, reference type range and you're still having these type of symptoms and you might just be kind of on the cusp of what might be normal, that might still be abnormal for you. And that's exactly what I had too. And that's the yeah. fact that the blood test was showing relative normal, but symptomatically and physiologically, I didn't feel normal. I didn't feel well. Um, and yet it was like, well, you know, that, but that range is enormous. If you think about it, anything between <laughs> 15 to 300, that's a very broad spectrum. And, you know, that bell curve, Absolutely. you can fit anywhere along that and still not be healthy, normal for your body type, for your needs, for your metabolic demands, for your lifestyle demands. Um, so this is, this is why so many women sort of fall under the radar or fall into the, well, it's normal for, you know, the test. So there's nothing wrong with you, but you, you're left questioning and scratching your 
head thinking, well, I don't feel good. So <laughs> I and totally if you are, something wrong. And if you are getting some of those symptoms, let's have a look at what things you might want to look for. And yeah. Again, the, the symptomatology that goes with low iron levels or anemia um, kind of mimic a whole bunch of other different things as well, but there is a little bit of specificity to that. And there's a reason why you get these symptoms as well, because Ash, like you said, that most of the iron um, in our body is actually converted or incorporated into hemoglobin, which is what carries the oxygen. And then in our muscles, it's the myoglobin that helps our muscles to work the way they're supposed to. But every single living cell in our body needs iron to function. So if you're starved for iron, your whole body is going to be affected by this. Um, so iron is also stored in the liver and your spleen and your bone marrow. And without that, it would definitely, your whole system would be really starved for oxygen. So your brain and your muscles wouldn't function and your immune system would absolutely be impaired um, as well as a whole bunch of other things. But symptomatically, like you said, that extreme fatigue is one thing that goes very hand in hand or is really strongly associated with that iron deficiency as is things are like weakness, including, you know, that whole body kind of weakness or that fatigue, that sort of muscle weakness, or they're very quick to fatigue. So you might be getting that muscle soreness even without exertion. Um, and if you think of uh, the red color that you get with your good blood cells, so having a really pale skin, so looking that kind of anemic type look that you would expect someone to have as well. So that's certainly associated with um, with an iron deficiency. You can get a bit of chest pain. You can get rapid heartbeats um, and shortness of breath as well because, remember, it's related to that oxygen depletion and your ability for your system to be really oxygenated that's associated with this, which also might give you a bit of a headache, dizziness, lightheadedness, um, cold hands and feet, and then some other quite strange symptoms as well. And some of them might be um, inflammation or swelling and soreness of your tongue, brittle nails, and really weird cravings for non-nutritious things such as ice, or even dirt or like starch, like but not starchy foods, but like a starchy substance. Um, and this is all associated with a condition called PICA, P-I-C-A, that's associated with, um, you know, that, that really severe um, iron deficiency, um, which is kind of interesting. So if you really feel like you want to just chew on ice all day, it could be for a reason. Very curious, aren't they? And so this is a lot of different, I guess, symptoms that you could have. The easiest, quickest way to find out is to go and get your blood test done. And mm -hmm. um, that should be the first point of call. I think it's always good to do a full blood count, just find out what's there. Are there any signs of inflammation, white cell count, red cell count, all these standard full blood spectrum, because it does give you a lot of information and it gives you a point where to start to try and have a look to see if you're dealing with it. Because some of those symptoms can be make, um, such as infections or some chronic sort of virus issues or just even fatigue and it's sort of interesting to know whether it's truly a, a blood works functional issue or whether it's more to do with lifestyle you're just not mm -hmm. looking after yourself well enough so you're getting a lot of these symptoms anyway so firstly find out one is it um is it iron deficiency anemia or is it you know anemia at all and then if it is um or if you're very low on the spectrum then let's have a look at some of the things that could be causing it because there's a couple of different reasons why your body is not um, absorbing or assimilating iron. So we've got to look at, are you getting enough in? If you are, is it being absorbed, assimilated correctly? And is it being transported into the cells where it needs to be? Mm -hmm. So let's have a think about some of the things that could be affecting 
the way in which your body incorporates or utilizes the ferritin and the iron in the body. Firstly, I always ask people questions about what their diet's like. So if you're just not getting enough whole foods, raw foods, green leafy vegetables, if you're vegan, vegetarian, then of course there's already an increased risk factor for not being um, a functional in amount of iron you have in your body because you're not getting enough in in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, iron uh, or you know, the the kind of hemoglobin stores that we're talking about in terms of your food comes in two different forms. So there's either heme iron or non-heme iron. So your heme iron comes from essentially your animal products, so meat and seafoods, whereas your non-heme iron is coming from like your fruits and your veggies and your salads and all your greens and those sorts of things. So you can certainly have a diet that's really rich in your non-heme uh, sources, but if you're still missing out on that heme, then depending on your body type, depending on how good your body is at assimilating certain things, um, that can be a bit of a challenge. Yeah, and then of course, gut-related issues. We talk a lot about the gut and whether or not the gut is functioning well, but uh, obviously, if your gut's not working well and there's damage to the gut lining, if you have um, Crohn's, if you have any sort of ulcerative colitis or anything like mm-hmm. that then, of course, your ability to bring in and store iron can be significantly affected. Um, And this also affects things like your B12 levels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And this is the really important point that I want you guys to take away from today, that if you do have low iron or you have had iron deficiency previously and you've just been given supplementation, then I think that the key factor for why you actually have the iron deficiency in the first place is what is so, so critical. So iron is actually absorbed um, from your food into your bloodstream in, in the small intestine. So if you have got poor gut function, then your ability to assimilate that is going to be impaired. And it's absolutely true as well for any of the supplementation that you have as well like if you cannot assimilate these nutrients and if the bioavailability of those nutrients isn't exactly what your body can i guess use and assimilate into what it needs then it's a bit of a waste of time so you absolutely need to make sure that your gut function is on point. For example, if you have some sort of like celiac disease that has gone undiagnosed um, and which is a bit of a catch-22 because even the diagnosis for celiac disease is so um, inconsistent or if you have, say, non-celiac gluten sensitivity but you continue to eat gluten, then that's absolutely going to impair your body's ability to absorb and assimilate nutrients, including iron. So sorting out your gut is absolutely number one for making sure that your system can actually absorb these nutrients. Um, So if you're not getting enough of it in your diet, then that's definitely part two. So one is making sure your gut can actually assimilate it. The second is making sure that your diet is really rich in those foods that we talked about. So in particular, the heme iron comes from your meat and seafoods, like what we described, um, definitely your grass-fed organic varieties of red meat if you can is going to be your best sources um eggs are also a really good source as well so if you are restricting like animal protein but are happy to eat eggs and that's that's a good sort of trade-off there um or if you're say pescatarian and you're happy to eat seafood then i think that that's a really good source as well 
Great. And look, it's also interesting too, because you just mentioned eggs and I've got a, I've got a guess, uh, challenge with that because a while back I was reading some research on that and there is some, a uh, couple of studies showing that eggs actually contain a compound, um, called phosphatin, which is a protein and that can bind to iron molecules and actually prevent mm-hmm. your body from, um, absorbing it. So it's so important because the third thing that I was going to mention then is now then looking at foods that actually inhibit iron absorption because often we're, we think we're having a really well balanced diet, good meal, good food sources. We're getting heme and non-heme sources, but because we're having a food source within our meal that's actually inhibiting it, um, we then start to not absorb the iron that's in the meal we've actually taken in. So great example of that are things like coffee. Um, a lot of people do know this already. Um, you know, they, they, they've heard it before and they think, oh, but why? And really basically things like cocoa and coffee uh, inhibit iron absorption and they can't... They no can't, one wants to hear that. No, I know. It's so unfair, but, but it's true. And therefore, if you've got a serious problem with anemia, you have to think about, well, hang on, I'm doing everything right, but then what if there's a food there that's interrupting my absorption of those um, iron sources that I'm having at the moment. So things like the, the cacao, co- cocoa, coffee, they have something that we call phenolic compounds or, or polyphenols. And they, even though they're antioxidants and they're really good at um, removing sort of, I guess, free-floating cells from the body, removing damage, they also inhibit approximately 90% of iron absorption in the body. And it's just like, wow, one cup of coffee can inhibit 6% of the iron in the meal. That's Quite Ooh, I wonder what um, I wonder what the timing of that is. So I'm wondering yeah. if, say, you have your meal and Within. then you wait an hour or so and then have your coffee or, or whatever it might be. I wonder if that sort of uh, will kind of counteract that. Yeah. Um, so uh, look, I'd have to go in and try and find some more details in that study. But it was just really interesting that I, that was the takeaway. I went, oh, that's interesting. So you can have a really great big, you know, green salad at lunch, which is really iron rich. But if you chase that with a cup of coffee, does that then inhibit the iron that you've just absorbed or taken into your body? So it is important to understand that some foods will counteract or affect the way in which your body can actually take and, and hold the iron. Walnuts are another one. And this that was what blew me away because they contain phytates, um, mm-hmm. also found in soy as well. And, and suddenly you go, oh, hang on, I thought I was doing all the right things. And I wonder often, you know, when I look back at my really good diet and lifestyle that I had that I was still having iron deficiency, it was just because I was throwing, you know, nuts on all my meals, whether that was actually inhibiting iron at that time. Honestly, I have no idea. I don't discourage people from eating nuts. <laughs> so, yeah, and um, I would definitely um, be using caution with the eggs as well because um, I wonder if that's if certain people are more susceptible yeah. um, to to those effects. That's really really interesting. But this um, is what we're talking about troubleshooting today, isn't it? It's like if, yeah, if you're trying the conventional yeah. stuff, if you're taking the the tablet supplements that you've been told to take, and it's not changing, let's sort of troubleshoot here let's figure out some of the other possibilities as to why that um iron level is not going up again or you're still feeling symptomatic because it could just be simply things that are foods that are inhibiting your iron absorption um another one taking for example if you're taking medications if you're taking aspirins or mm-hmm. um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories and things like this they have a direct impact on your gut and gut lining and they have the ability to damage the the lining in a way that you could actually be getting a very small sort of uh, bleed situation. So you're actually getting chronic blood loss through the stomach or through the lining of the gut because of the damage that those drugs are doing to the gut wall. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so because it's not uh, overt, you're not getting signs of bleeding, you're not getting, you know, changes in your stool. So you go, oh, my gosh, there's, there's blood in my stools, there's, you know, um, 
sign of it, you don't even know about it because your body's absorbing it as it passes through the system. But you're getting this, you know, chronic, low-grade, slight bleed happening because of the medication you're taking. Women who have heavy periods, same deal. You need to go back into our episodes where we talk about the hormonal balances and hormonal healing because if you're really getting really heavy, clotting, long bleeds, then of course you're really at a high risk of the iron deficiency anemia because just simply of blood loss. Oh, absolutely. And I think this is one of the most important things for women is that the um, really heavy and long periods as well, um, or intermittent bleeding throughout your your cycle as well. Um, So particularly if you're getting breakthrough bleeding, it may not seem like large amounts at the time, but because of the consistency of it, that is absolutely significant. And for women, this is one of the major causes, apart from the absorption issues of iron deficiency anemia. Yeah, the bleeding. So let's have a look at some of the best things you can be doing or taking. Um, Obviously, I've always been of the belief uh, food first or let's look at dietary lifestyle Mm -hmm. first before we add supplements because my own personal experience just said that, well, supplements don't always do the job for everyone. So in the absence of that working, what are the other options? Um, I did have some really good effect by a liquid supplement called Floridix Vital and Mm -hmm. that was one thing that did shift it and it shows you the difference how you take something in, you know, in a liquid form, in a herbal form with plant Ash, extracts. did you find that it tasted like blood? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, quite a metallic taste, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's I found real... it tastes like blood. And you know what, somewhere, maybe deep down the brain goes, oh, well, that, that must be a good thing. You know, like it's, it's totally. like it's got this metallic blood taste to it. But um, in my situation, that did work. So I often will suggest women go to, you know, an oral liquid form just to see, because that had co- cofactors such as vitamin C and things in it that would obviously increase the iron absorption. So let's talk about some of the foods, the dietary things that could be used. Andrew, you've already mentioned that good quality meat sources. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, we always talk about organic, grass-fed, grass-finished meats because they are better quality, better quality fats. You're not taking in toxins. Um, so they're your heme sources of, well, what you need, iron. Um and they also have B12 in them. So that's a good compound. It's interesting because I'm not a big fan of eating um, organ meats, but we know that organ meats are a really, really concentrated source of iron. What are, oh, what's your take on that? It's a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Um, historically, we've always eaten organ meats. Yeah, and they course. would be almost the most revered part of the animal because of um, you know, its potential and any traditional cultures that you look at, that is the part of the, um, you know, the animal that they would kill during their hunting, that they would eat first. Mm. They would always go for the organ meats rather than the muscle meat first. Um, I think just maybe because of the taste, the look of it, or maybe just our own association with the the anatomy of that, we've sort of eared away from it. Um, there is a, a big, strong push, particularly in the paleo circles, to bring back organ meats into sort of popularity. Yeah. But we do know that um, particularly liver is one of the most nutrient-dense substances we can find anywhere. Um, so, look, I don't know if pate will cut it, <laughs> but that certainly is a more palatable way of having some organ meats. Um but again, I'd be really stringently looking at how it's produced, if it's produced ethically, because a lot of that sort of stuff isn't. Um, if you can get it local um, and, you know, what else they're putting in with it as well to bind it. Um, but 
I would strongly encourage, you know, you to eat organ meats if you can tolerate it. I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, and definitely find your source because you've got to remember as well, organ meats, um, so kidneys, livers, these are filtrations. So any mm-hmm. concentrations of toxins, any concentrations of parasites, bacteria, um, heavy metals, these are the tissues that the those will sit in. So therefore, how and where the animal's raised is so, so important. So um, maybe that's partly why I don't because unless I could be absolutely certain of the source, then uh, I I struggle to even want to eat it because it's, you know there's too many question marks <laughs> about the safety whether I'm taking in more yeah. more harmful products than I need. Um, what I would suggest is actually start to get a good relationship with your local butcher if you're that way yeah. inclined. Um, <laughs> How good a relationship <laughs> if you're that way inclined? <laughs> okay, that was totally not what I meant. There. Um, comfortable eating red meat. Yeah, yeah. And you're comfortable having organ meat sources. This is something that they usually throw out. So if they're getting in organic produce and organic beasts, then, you know, start that sort of conversation with them and let them know that you're wanting to include some more organ meats. And there's amazing recipes out there. I know that the chef Pete Evans has got some incredible organ meat recipes that are absolutely delicious. Um, And you can certainly make your own pate as well. So I'd Definitely encourage that. Let's um, talk to our vegetarians and vegans because I can I can tell they'd be sitting here uh, right now going, oh god, girls, get off this topic. It's disgusting. That. I'm so not into this. Or you've just had you know had breakfast and the last thing you feel like imagining is uh, you know bloody organ meats. Let's talk about some of the vegetarian <laughs> vegan sources. Yeah, because it's uh, it can be a bit a bit if you're not. Uh, I know for many years of being vegetarian, even the thought or the idea of it really turned my stomach. So <laughs> let's move on. We talk about foods high in vitamin C. Um, these are shown to help with iron absorption so whenever you're taking in a food source with iron you should be taking in uh, a quality of vitamin c as well so if you're having for example an iron rich food such as beef um, throw in some high vitamin c foods as well this could be such as like tomatoes um, red peppers Uh, you've got quite a few different fruits and vegetables. Uh, so citrus fruit, citrus, kale, yep. broccoli, Brussels sprouts, um, all of those sorts of things are pretty high in vi- vitamin C. Yeah, and interestingly, um, some of those dark green leafy vegetables are also high in iron and folic acid as well. So you kind of it's amazing how nature knows, isn't it? Interesting how yeah, often uh, plants have the perfect co cofactors and perfect compounds that balance out. Uh, our absorption as animals to be able to eat them, which is fantastic. So a lot of the time you don't even realise, but uh, the the vegetables already know what you need and you've got them all there in one place, which is fantastic. So steam some kale or broccoli, uh, pop them on the side of the plate with uh, an iron-rich food and you've got a a really good balanced uh, iron-rich meal. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Things like sweet potato, dates, um, peas, watermelon, raisins, those sorts of things are also higher in um, iron as well. Um, So definitely be encouraging that. But remember, this is your non-heme iron that you're getting from these sources. Um, But they're all good, you know, vitamin C sources as well. So the bioavailability of the iron that you're getting from that is going to be higher. So it's definitely going to have, you know, more healthful impacts that way. Um, all right, so let's just talk about supplementation for a second because I think this is really important because typically the answer traditionally, and traditionally I, what I mean is, you know, seeking out a traditional sort of Western medical type um, practitioner, they will either give you something like ferrograde C as a prescription iron supplementation or they'll, if that works to no avail, then they'll send you for an iron infusion. Um 
The other thing that uh, I want to talk about as well is iron fortified foods. Oh, don't get me started. Oh, it's <laughs> no, something like I think, I think oh. we should get started on this because it's really important. So, if you see any of those uh, breakfast cereals or your uh, breads or you know any of the highly processed foods that say they're iron fortified, if you've heard Cindy O'Meara ever talk about this, it's absolutely fascinating. They've done a study with uh, I'm fairly sure it was Nutrigrain where they ground it up and then put a magnet next to it, just like a standard household magnet next to it. And it was actually able to pull out tiny little iron shalings. So it's fortified with iron, the metal. And um, it in what part of the, yeah, in what part of biology? <laughs> this is absolutely toxic to your system. It is not available or that there's absolutely no way your body can absorb that there is no form of that that is bioavailable for your body and it's toxic i just yeah anyway it blows my mind should see me sitting here just like holding my hand (laughs) i just cannot understand that um someone's infinite wisdom fortifying that with um the metal iron just yeah is uncomprehensible incomprehensible but anyway yes agree so basically what i think the long story short there is we disagree with the uh, fortified foods so if you're taking foods on because they say enriched with calcium enriched with iron enriched with um all these other minerals or micronutrients then just be very cautious because anything that's been stripped of or doesn't have those things in it and then they have to add them back in after all the processing and packaging part of you know food production that's really concerning because that's not the form in which nature produced it so they're synthetically throwing back into food things that should have already been there um Mm -hmm. and so that's you know genuinely concerning however as a disclaimer there um how or why i don't have i guess a really good understanding as to why but i've also read some studies where they have shown that iron fortified foods really do help and uh in particularly in children with low iron status so oh i think it has a lot more to do with parents probably cleaning up the diet of the child across the board um because they were using iron fortified cereals and i just thought in what world does iron fortified cereal help a child but um i would be I was critical of of that study. I'd be looking at like all of the sources of iron that they were getting and, you know, it'd be very hard to take a controlled trial of just putting them on iron fortified cereals Mm. and then looking at a difference. I'm sure that they improved all of their markers through that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really, really interesting. Yeah, Um, but for the interest of balance, I just thought I'd sort of throw that out there because whilst I'm looking for articles and research that supports our views and opinions on things, I also am very interested in seeing what the flip side is to see what uh, the articles potentially contradict our point of reference. So, yeah, just for you ladies listening, just let you know that uh, we do look at all angles on this one and we try and find the things that are I guess most appropriate to recommend to you. So if you do see something that says, oh, but iron rich foods do help, um, it is worth asking the question who funded the study as well. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, if there's absolutely. a cereal company or a food company behind the uh, production of iron rich foods and they support a study, then chances are they're going to find something in favour of the very products they're promoting. So it's um, so important to be well, there's a, a vested, bit critical. There's a vested interest there. Um, yeah. Now, just quickly going back to the supplementation. If your iron supplement is something like ferrous sulfate, 
it can be very, very hard for your body to actually absorb and use that. And it can actually increase your free radical damage. So just the type of iron that they're using in the supplement um, is really important. Ferrous sulfate is pretty cheap to produce. So it's used a lot. Um, I would certainly recommend something like ferrous bisglycinate over that or a good liquid type iron supplementation like what you recommended, Ash. Um, I would certainly suggest speaking to your um, natural healthcare practitioner about this first because the type of iron that you need might differ. And again, um, if it's bound with vitamin C, the bioavailability is a lot higher um, because it really hinges on whether or not your body can actually use that type of iron that you're supplementing it with, whether it can absorb it and whether or not there's high bioavailability of it. So, you, you know, your body can actually convert that into what it actually needs. Um, there are a few risks associated with supplementing iron, including, um, you know, nausea, vomiting, gastrointestinal upsets like uh, constipation and changing your stool color and those sorts of things. Um, so just be weary of that. A good quality iron supplement should not make you constipated. Um, let me just put that as a preface. Perfect. So we try things like increasing our dietary intake through mm -hmm. quality food sources. We have a little look at some of the things that inhibit iron absorption. So just being mindful of what foods could actually be inhibiting some of the absorption of heme and non-heme iron. So there's the two types of iron, the, the heme from animal-based products with direct you know, blood. So you, you're getting just basically think of heme sources as blood-based sources mm -hmm. and non-heme as the plant-based sources. That's probably the simplest way of, of seeing the two there. Um, what else? Being mindful of your absorption from the way in which you take it in. So is yep. your form of iron the correct form for your body if you've been trying one supplement and it's not working switch around and see if you can get a different supplement different cofactors um so let's see if your body absorbs that better because one thing is not going to work for everyone so don't be yeah. afraid to yeah. to switch them around and try different ones even like i did going from the ferro graduate just wasn't working three months later switching over to the florodix vital and found a really quick and immediate effect with that one so for whatever reason my body absorbed that much better than it had been the one that i was instructed to take so um, just being mindful, don't persist and persist. If it's not changing, change the source. Yeah, definitely. And just one last thing as well. Um, your vitamin D levels will affect your blood cell production or your erythropoietin uh, production. So just making sure that your vitamin D levels are excellent will also help just as a bit of a, I guess, cofactor for lack of a better word, um, to make sure that your iron um, production is what it's supposed to be. Yeah, and B as well. So you've got your B vitamin complex. Definitely. So yeah, cool. Definitely. I think that's um, a pretty good wrap up. If you ladies, if it's really, really bothering you and you're struggling with this um, iron deficiency concern, certainly have a chat to a allied health practitioner, someone who works along the lines of a naturopath, um, to have a little look at see what it is you can be doing to change things. Because if it's not changing, if you're still struggling with it, you've got to find the source, the cause, the underlying reason why your body is either not producing enough red cells or not producing producing ones with enough iron in them which are sufficient and able to carry oxygen around your body the way it's designed to. Yeah, absolutely. So ladies, we hope that you've got stacks of information from this today and don't just take, oh, you've got iron deficiency as, uh, you know, the, the be all and end all. Let's look at why that's actually happening. So is it an absorption issue for you? Is it the really heavy periods? Is there something else that you need to action in order to help to address that? Because your iron levels are very important marker in your overall health and well-being. Um, so ladies, please let us know what you thought of this episode. Um, pop some uh, feedback there on iTunes 
ratings for us. Make sure you give us a five-star rating if you think that we deserve it. Make sure you're following us on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash the wellness women or underscore the wellness women on Instagram as well. Uh, and ladies, until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.